0: Hello and welcome to this week's StatsBone podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen. How are you, Ted? I'm fine. I'm I'm reader-powered. Reader-powered, yeah. This is an interesting turn of events, actually, to me, because um, I think at the start of the week it was like, eh, there's only been a couple of Premier League games, it's been a bit quiet, let's have a reader-powered thing. And then, interestingly, both ends of the Premier League have become keenly contested. Or at least the Champions League and relegation spots in the last couple of nights. So, uh, yeah, we could maybe just the
1: three points separating Leicester in third from Wolves in sixth.
0: Literally five days ago, I tweeted that, like, you know, Leicester Man United could be a big game on the last day, thinking that they could edge closer towards each other. And it's like, oh no, already it's basically up for grabs. Five team, four teams in those, in those slots, and for maybe well, we don't actually know if it's two or three Champions League slots they're aiming oh. at indeed
1: yeah and and the bottom you know west ham actually beat chelsea people act like chelsea couldn't haven't been able to lose but you know, chelsea have struggled a bit they're they've weird. got 10 losses this year they're weird
0: <laughs> every time i think they're getting their in their act together they they kind of lose a match and it's like oh okay maybe not <laughs> uh i still and last
1: night obviously was uh scruffy
0: <laughs> yeah I will I just, I just a, a case in point it, I I didn't reply to this tweet on Twitter someone said that Jared Bowen was a flop and I was tempted to reply because he's only played like mm. four games at the time two assists last night so it's all Sounds good like a flop to me it's all
1: good he's a two-footed flop though
0: it's funny actually West Ham with, uh, with kind of like Bowen and Antonio because you know how hard Antonio is to deal with I'm not you know he whether is. he's some like huge goal threat is a secondary uh, consideration but just you know him kind of like uh, he's, he can be a bit of a bulldozer. And um, Bowen can be as well. He's the kind of guy that can. Ball can stick to his foot and he can just kind of like find his way through and bulldoze past uh, players as well. So th- those two are kind of like. I don't know if this is the plan for West Ham, but and it probably isn't like some great sustainable idea. But they've both got similar traits insofar as the ball will stick to them and they'll, they're quite hard to dispossess at times. Yeah, I mean, look. We were actually pretty
1: positive on West Ham's recruitment in in the summer, and I think I was probably more positive than you were. But yeah, that's true. We didn't we didn't think they were doing bad, and and the Bowen Bowen transfer, you know, felt like they paid market value. And we talked, I think, on the last podcast. I thought Hull did the right thing selling at the time, despite the fact that um, things have gone catastrophically wrong since then for them. Mm-hmm. But um, looking at, at this. West Ham squad like it's not that bad you know except for one really crucial incredibly important area which is they don't have a functional midfield really
0: that's yeah I mean I don't know Mark Noble's the kind of consistent here isn't he in midfield and far be it from me to criticize such a such a legend and stalwart of the club but uh you can do better than him now, surely. Can't well, yeah, and, and
1: at the at the beginning of the year, it was what Noble and Wilshire, which was a yeah, unmitigated <laughs> disaster, and and then you know Noble and Declan Rice have not been particularly great together, and Fornals is in there, and he's more of an attacker. So yeah, it's 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 been a bit about finding some sort of midfield that works because they do have other parts that that are highly functional i would say which for west ham is is saying something because highly functional has not been part of their DNA in i don't know history
0: yeah it's it, it's a it's a funny one really for, for west ham i mean that you can't see a kind of like consistent streak at, at any point really in, in in quite some years rice is in rice is interesting i, I think People people kind of put him down as a kind of like centre back skills in central midfield, and um, I, I, you know you know I think I notice these things more than actually watching the game. But yeah, a few positive comments are creeping into my Twitter timeline about Rice that he's he's developing, and you got to remember he's still you know pretty, uh, pretty young, and yeah, that's the thing. He's already got a a, a fair standard, uh, you know, uh, and twenty one for a central midfielder you know or even a centre back you know wherever he ends up playing you know there is there is room for development even if that development is required so yeah i mean maybe maybe looking to get someone someone else to kind of like play long term alongside him is is the answer if they stay up which that win last night was an absolutely huge leap towards yeah but also there
1: you know they're still only three points above villa and bournemouth so yeah, it's it's still it's creaky and tight. I, I guess we did get a question about this, and James loves to talk about Bournemouth when they're bad. So, um, <laughs> James, why are Bournemouth looking so bad?
0: Well, I think uh, the injuries have been a huge uh, aspect of um, what's gone on in the last, kind of, well, this season particularly. Their metrics are scarcely that great, and they kind of, I think they got away with it a little bit in other seasons by... By being good at beating the teams around them, they very you know they they've got occasional results against big teams, but we're generally bad against the big teams. But we're very good at beating the teams around them. Now, I mean, obviously, it's it's gone a bit skew. If last night losing four one at home to Newcastle, but that is the kind of game, exactly the kind of game that they they would usually win, right. and they haven't got any of those games left. They're like they've got. Big teams away at Everton. I think they've never got a point there. A derby with Southampton. And Southampton, look, you know, a fairly robust unit at this point. Um, and then, yeah, like you know, just tough games. So it's genuinely hard to see where they'll get three points from. Let, let alone maybe what, what might they need? You know, three, six, nine. You know, and I don't know. It's a, it's a shame in a way because you know, a very small club on a relatively small budget from a from a um, you know a small stadium. And, you know, they've done just enough up, up till now. It felt like, you know, similar to Burnley, that they've they worked out how to stay in this league. But this is a thing variants can kill you, and a few injuries can kill you. And if it just skews the wrong way one year, then you're facing downwards, and they may well get relegated and find it extremely difficult to get back out of the championship, which is yeah, the a Premier large league jam is, of big teams. The Premier League is almost impossibly competitive this
1: year. Uh, yes yes Liverpool have have run away with the league itself but almost everything else in the middle of that league is is really competitive and part of it is you know you might even say some fairly minor mistakes in recruitment or coaching or just having a downturn from you know some of the giant teams but a lot of it is like everything from the the sort of we call them the big six. They're not even the big six anymore. Wolves have, have you know jumped up and Sheffield United are, have fallen back a bit. But like everything from six below is hugely contested. And and Norwich, I guess what you would say, when we talked about them coming into the preseason, we looked at them and said they didn't really gamble on trying to stay up. Like Aston Villa spent massive amounts of money mm. to try and stay up. And, and Norwich like continued with their club philosophy that says that we're going to make cautious bets if we stay up great but we know we're kind of a yo-yo yeah, club yeah. and hopefully we just keep you know doing this and get a little bit better and a little bit better until we stabilize and i think you know it might be genuinely impossible unless something happens in the championship and financial things start to bite for you know this this sort of even the bottom 10 teams in the league to guarantee they're going to stay up because it is that competitive, and it, it, it's really, really tight.
0: Yeah, you do have to somehow find a way to, to kick forward. Like, yeah, I do, I do think, um, I guess, yeah, I don't think Bournemouth's recruitment has been particularly stellar. Um, I don't know, They got this, what was it, um, Dan Jumer in in the summer for quite a lot of money. It wasn't. He's only started five games, didn't think he was, he was anything special, and obviously kind of bet on him a little bit. Billing in the midfield, they bet on. I, I I, quite like Philip Billing when I watch him, but like it's. He doesn't it do a lot though. It's two teams now that haven't been very good. Who was it? It was a. I can't remember. Back in the old days, was it? Oh, Leroy Furr, wasn't it? Leroy Furr always. He was like he seems okay, but he always ends up on teams that get relegated. So yeah. maybe. <laughs> it's thought, one of those questions, isn't it?
1: Well, we thought the Jefferson <laughs> Lerma was like a big mistake. The the price that they paid for him and looking at his stats you're like that doesn't make any sense at all um billing you know was probably a, a low risk one and honestly like uh, huddersfield relegated and then you know right on the cusp of getting relegated again so it, there are and you know solanke they picked up and uh, to be honest with you like stats like solanke and i thought that he you know i haven't scouted him from a kid yeah, still think that there's a lot of talent there, but they have not managed to activate him yeah. at all.
0: Thirteen hundred minutes, no goals, one assist. This is your, yeah. you know, this is your striker. <laughs> yeah,
1: Harry Wilson has seven goals. Uh, so you know, they some some of the young guys have, have performed somewhat well. But yeah, it's it's just it, there is this knife's edge, and it doesn't take much to to you know tuck below the the point where you're you're safe and comfortable. Um, which kind of comes back to another question that we got asked, and, and we weren't originally going to answer it, but someone asked, you know, not just this year. Assume that the bottom three right now get relegated. Who are the relegation dangers for next season, and how you know how do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, like the, the obvious one for me is Palace, and a lot of people thought this this season. Um, because of like their age profile, they're very old team, and maybe Roy can just kind of like eke out this kind of like performance level again. But they're at risk because the reason I thought they would be okay this season was that their metrics last season were actually quite solid. They were close to par. They, you know, they hadn't created their metrics. Now the metrics this season, the last time I looked, I haven't looked last couple of weeks, were significantly worse, or you know, substantially worse. So I think you can project from that onwards to say that you know there's a lot to do with that squad to actually convert it to uh you know another season and then another season and they're only a year they're a year older um they probably can't sell zaha for big money could they have ever i'm don't i'm not sure but where do they bring in money so that they can invest and and buy, bring in you know sufficient talent so i think that's a tricky one more more one Basakas yeah I mean that stuff, that, was, that was probably a real boon for them last year, and but you don't find them everywhere um, so i I, th-
1: I think you're exactly right, and i'm I'm on that as well. I did not think that they would get relegated this year. I thought they were in risk in future years. I uh, hated the recruitment uh, and and you know it might be that the recruitment itself is is money locked right because they'd been losing money and they used Juan Bisaka's money to kind of shore up the the books and stuff like that, but at some point eventually like as your squad ages out like you've got to replace these parts and and Roy has done you cannot say a bad word about the job the Hodgson has done because they have yeah. been rock solid in this league and he's been doing it with like lesser amount of talent so you know congratulations to him but you're right they're not league average this year like they had been in past like they're they're getting towards that that bottom end of it and so even with Roy involved like you know there's some danger there as the squad ages Also, you know, something that's fairly important here is they have the second fewest goals scored in the whole league. Like that's that's, that does tell you that, you know, especially in a league where three points is is very helpful. Like that's a danger. Like it is something that that you should keep an eye on. The flip side is they've been good defensively and they have I think they're seventh in the league in, in goals conceded. So that's pretty solid.
0: Yeah, I mean who who else like obviously of the teams coming up it looks like you know it's hard to say Brentford on quite the charge we'll probably just speak about them in a minute but um I think Leeds' style of play with uh, Bielsa um in charge providing he would, remains in charge if if they get to the Premier League I think that that creates a fascinating uh setup for them in the Premier League but I think they'll beat teams and probably be okay off the back of that. I think the the style of play is, is effective uh insofar as they should be able to kind of like roll over the slightly defensive you know less ambitious sides and, and secure enough points but obviously any anyone coming out of the championship will be vulnerable i think sheffield united interestingly uh so something that hadn't surprised me a little bit uh, obviously they've been bad since the um the restart but uh i looked at just you know pure xg for 2020 so it's about 12 games, 11-12 games for all teams and Sheffield United were really down amongst it they're like kind of at 19th best so, you know, their, their general trending even though, you know, you can't knock their season their general trending is, isn't very good and just puts them at risk uh, again, they're not, you know, they're not they're only, they'll only be in season 2, we've seen plenty of teams come up and have a good first season, maybe elements, prize, all these kind of aspects around it, and then season 2 be more difficult and, uh, like you say you know, there, there's, there's a bunch of Team, a bunch of teams say you know they kind of like if you're in the bottom 10 then you're then you're potentially in risk of landing yourself in a relegation battle so you know of the teams that will you know likely kind of oscillate around the kind of lower positions then I'd have to say that I think that that's the way Sheffield United are probably trending and that's not not a slight on them at all because you know if I don't if- entirely
1: agree with that I think there's some red card stuff that's played into that um and I think that Chris Wilder, much like Sean Dyche, is probably going to be able to to keep them solid enough so that they're not at risk. Versus Newcastle, who have you know way overperformed all of their metrics. We don't know if the takeover is going to happen. They'll sign Neymar,
0: Ted. You know, don't worry about that. It's fine.
1: <laughs> Neymar and Rubinho. That is <laughs> a nice little mix there. Um, so yeah, I, I Newcastle are. At least, you know, traditionally when we do the analysis like this, you would say that if Newcastle stuck with Steve Bruce and went into next season, they would be one of the picks. And then the third one there, um, you know, not looking at the, the championship, like if, if West Brom come up, like they would probably, you would think that they might struggle. Uh, Fulham, if they come up, you would think that they might struggle. Brentford and Leeds are, are actually two pretty strong promotion candidates. Um, Brentford actually have a better squad. Uh, but yeah we'll get get to that a little bit later so yeah the the third one would have been West Ham and, and West Ham have metrics that look bad and they change their manager but they still don't have a midfield and they have some talent there but putting those pieces together so that they work well is it hasn't happened through most of the season
0: yeah it's, it's, it's generally quite hard to evaluate. But, you know, looking at the squads and, you know, the, the way things are trending and, you know, how settled things are, how much work needs to be done, they're all factors that go into how how he might project forwards. You know, like Watford have had a, quite a mixed season. If they stay up, you know, w- how do they settle down? Do they stick with Pearson? Do they they change managers many times? You know, what how do they progress from that? Um, questions, Ted? This was supposed to be a Q&A and we're at, what, 15 minutes, and I don't think we've... <laughs> We have been covering questions; they're just not the ones that you highlighted. No, this is true. You yeah, know, people ask them. This is a service. Are Manchester United good now, Ted? So we've been talking about this for most of the year,
1: and having been fairly harsh on United uh, in previous seasons, when it, you know it was deserved, we weren't being mean; it's just analytically harsh. Uh, the thing that's been fairly constant this year is they've been a very good defensive team. Mm. And now it seems like they're kind of fun to watch too.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, who can't be impressed? Who was just, been, you know, not impressed by what we've seen in the last few weeks? It's so funny. This kind of like news. This second, well, sorry, the second act of the season is feels like a new season, and things have just things are just changing, and it's too small a sample to be. I hugely confident about it, but you know, Sheffield United falling in a bit of a hole. Play Tottenham in about uh, a couple of hours, so we'll see about that. <laughs> um, um, you know, Man United like looking like they're really getting their act together, having got Pogba fitting in the team alongside Fernandez. I I, I think I tweeted about this the other day. I think they've they they're as as well set as as they've been in. I don't know, probably the start of that Mourinho's tenure, they had a, their metrics were really strong for half a season, but they couldn't hit a barn door. Um, since then, they've kind of meandered, they went down and meandered, and slowly but surely, you know, you see the difference between expected goals for and expected goals against, like, slightly widen. It's still not elite, it's still not, you know, top tier, but I feel, you know, the... These are incremental processes, and the first thing to do is get back in the top four. Might happen this season, uh, but like certainly next season, I think they're reasonably well shaping towards that, and may well be, uh, you know, able to take advantage of the fact that a lot of teams might tighten their belts this summer, and Man United have got you know kind of good resources if they choose to spend them. So they might be in a good uh, position to actually buy players in a kind of post-COVID world, and that might help too.
1: Yeah, uh, they, they are certainly one of the teams that can use financial firepower to dig themselves out of it. And you know, given what the people around the club on, in the media or even you know, Solskjaer have said, they're willing to, to do that. And there's going to be a pretty significant market correction this year and probably next year. Uh, based off of the, the lesser revenues because teams can't have fans in the stadium and so match day is going to go down and there are a lot of budget holes that have to be filled. and United you know may be able to go out there and, and buy a couple of players that you know, at half of the price that they might have gotten them or you know 70% uh, but are good enough to, to move the needle for them. I looked at their their shop map uh, a couple of days ago in Slack before anybody asked this and they're funkily like they're weirdly lopsided like they are they're heavily left and and they have a lot of goals from kind of the left half space which is a little bit unusual they they have angled goals there that you know a lot of teams don't score but Martial likes it out there Rashford likes it out there yeah. they just don't get much from the the right hand side and that's a that's a big hole for them right now you know Dan James I guess they hoped would would be able to fill that but we clearly thought that he wasn't ready to to be elite, there he's mostly a, a stopgap, but also the I think homegrown helps him out too.
0: And I think yeah, I mean Greenwood's a thing. Yeah, because this was a, a point I was thinking of the other day, and then Greenwood went out and he just, I can't remember he scored and assisted in that game, but he, you know he looked really, really, really good again. He's ahead of his expected goals. He's only taken like forty-five shots this season across. Uh, I think you know the European competition in, in the league and he's probably kind of like to double his expected goals. Like, that slows down, but even if it slows down a bit, we're only talking like a handful of goals, and maybe he gets his, you know, shot rate up a little bit as he, as he develops. Kid's 18. I mean, I was yeah. thinking that they need to sign someone in there to kind of like take some of his workload, because you can't really expect an 18-year-old to, to be, you know, a mainstream starter for the whole whole of a season across two competitions. But, like... From what we're seeing, it's, it's similar to when Rashford came through. He's done enough when in the team that you fig- figure that he's going to get a good amount of starts. Um, I, just- I
1: tell you what, I, I would still, you know, promise that he's going to get a lot of playing time, but I would still sign that that spot because it's Manchester United, right? Yeah, yeah. And and he's an academy kid, and he knows that he needs to compete. And when he was a a, a child, like I'm sure that he knew that like they were going to be too deep at every position, and and it mattered. But yeah, like being that young, you need to protect him a bit and be aware that you can't just put him out there every, every day. Um, the other thing to be aware of is yeah, I, I think someone did a, their own analysis and said he'd scored something like eight of his 13 goals by shifting the defender's you know legs open and, and shooting between their legs. If you're able to do that regularly, and I'm not sure this is a repeatable skill at the very top level, but if you're able to do that regularly, it makes it really hard for the goalkeeper. And we saw that like the, the goal scored – um, the other night we're like, against Brighton, we're probably a bit lucky, right? There was a huge deflection from Bruno that, uh, scored his first. And then Mason, you know, shifted the, the defender's legs and shot between his legs. And that made it hard for the, for Matt Ryan to, to pick it up very quickly. And it kind of trickled into the edge. If defenders know that you're going to try and do that, can they counteract against that? I don't know. Or is it like the Robin thing? where like, you know what he wants to do. Uh, good luck stopping <laughs> yeah. him.
0: I think just just a quick point on that uh, on that as well. He can also be part, you know, rotate with Martial and or Rashford in, as the kind of like starting, uh, you know, kind of center point of an attack. So yeah. that that also kind of adds to the idea that you need a little bit more depth in across that band. Well, and um, they know that. Like United have been talking, making noises, saying they they know they're still not settled.
1: Um, but you know, Bruno and and Pogba being happy, and and potentially you know Fred and or you know the aging. Uh, battleship that is Nemanja Matic the, the, having a real midfield like is helpful and and yeah. they defend they defend pretty well with their first team like they've been doing that all year Basaka has, has made it difficult for, for teams to beat them on that side like he is a good shutdown uh, fullback and yeah it gives them more more options I think
0: depth and fitness I think will, will account for a lot I think when they were, when it was McTominay and Fred in central midfield you were like right okay I would be happier if McTominay was like my you know, Darren Fletcher, kind of eighteenth man in the squad, yeah. kind of thing. And you know, that, that's that's what's shifted with Fernandes and Pogba returning. Is that yeah, they've gone back to, uh, gone back to that sort. But another quicker side: Greenwood, uh, Sancho, Erling Haaland. Like all these three young players are bursting through at various speeds, uh, and they they're all like on insane like kind of finishing runs and it's great mm. fun because like they all come through like when play, young players come through and score a lot or score ahead of expectation it's, there's always that tantalizing idea that you've got this that, but this kid can really finish <laughs> and, or are like,
1: they federico <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> and you know does double your expected goals persist well no it doesn't and but until it, until it's come down, there's always that like tantalizing idea that how long could this carry on for? And um, it's, it's just interesting to me that you've got like three really good examples of, of that kind of, you know, uh, crazy levels of finishing um, uh, all kind of coexisting right now. And,
1: but yeah. one of them is an actual Norse god. So we don't, uh, we don't know how to predict his future. <laughs>
0: What can we say about that? I mean, this is you know this isn't a singular data point. North Go, going, <laughs> playing football.
1: going back to the United thing, you know there is you kind of have to keep the big picture in mind though. What do they want to be? They don't want to be just a top four team or to compete for the top four, right? Like the real question is, what is their gap between city and and Liverpool? And that's what they have to fill. And that's where, you know we would say they got to keep upgrading like they're not there yet and and no. any holes you got to fill with you know a top 10 player in the world or or the best one that you can get that you think will develop into that player
0: but this trajectory is actually like kind of sensible because if you think about like earlier in the season not even that long ago say you know 6 8 months ago like it was it was like oh christ you know solsha hasn't got 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 his act together here they look, they look, they don't look very good at all you know they they should, should make more changes and such um, but you know as we go on we're seeing like an uptick and next season isn't isn't the idea you know if someone's saying oh Man United should challenge for the league next season well that's a nice idea but don't be silly that's probably not going to happen at all but if you know if the tra- tra- trajectory we're looking at is kind of like a year two years three years you know the two the two three-year point what's man united look like in say 2023 and what and what did liverpool look like in 2023 what do man city look like in 2023 is pep guardiola there he's probably long gone you know have they replaced him with someone else who've they replaced him with um liverpool like have they managed to trade out some of their, you know, slightly older players and replace them adequately, you know with all the will in the world, it's still not a foregone conclusion and Chelsea as well, you know, signing good players this summer, but, you know is Lampard the guy that can actually push them uh, you know, to the true elite and challenge for titles, that remains to be seen, so I think You know, if it's it's, you know, Man United fans don't like to think of like not competing. But if you're going to be pragmatic about it, you've you've got to realize that this is five years overdue to do a kind of like full overhaul and try and get back to the level that they were at. It's just taking them a long time to get to that point and to realize that that it isn't a one hit deal. It takes time.
1: I would say that. There was a point under LVG that they were obviously also pretty close. It felt like they had the horses, and then he just never let them attack. Yeah, uh, and 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 you know that that caused problems because you know when you've got the same volume of shots that Sam Allard has his Sunderland had, it might you know dampen <laughs> your ability to outscore teams. Um, Absolutely. You you did mention uh, Lampard, and we got a question about the. The Chelsea set pieces. Uh, I, I do appreciate people in in our mentions who encourage teams to uh, come to us for advice. Uh, we even taught a course, and in fact, you know Chelsea do know uh, my contact information because we have worked with Emma. Uh, but yeah, there's a question as the they're defending, and yeah, you know, I I looked at it briefly last night uh, in a tweet, and and think that it's you know pretty strongly systemic, but they're giving up something like 8% of the corners against them turn into goals, which is as good as you can possibly get from an attacking side. It's also, you know, <laughs> about as bad as you can get from the defending side. And, and you know, defending set pieces is very much about systems and how do we defend and what's everybody's responsibility and do they know how to do it? People are like, oh, he hasn't had the dominant center back or this guy's short or whatever. Like, Barcelona have done fine defending set pieces over the years with a lot of not very tall individuals. Um... You know, it, it is very much about not giving those up uh, if you can help it, but then defending them pretty well with the personnel that you have and it helps have a system. I don't want to say more than that because I don't want to, it, I, like, it's complicated to analyze these things and it takes time. And
0: we don't have that time today, James. we got lots more questions. That's true. So what's, what's the next question? Brentford. Uh, we're, we're dipping into the championship
1: for a few of these questions. It looks
0: we're going like. in you're going 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 to an order. We always always like to talk about Brentford, but I want to mention Brentford because they have this fun job it. But the, the actual question was uh, a while back on the pod, you both said I don't remember saying this. They will have to they will have to reach a point where they stop selling and aim for the Premier League. Did that happen? And what's next for their model and anyone who wants to follow in their footsteps? That sounds like something you would say. <laughs> It could be, it could be. You bees! Also sounds like something you would say. No. <laughs> I, it's okay. a good question. Maybe, I mean, maybe you're not at liberty to say, but like, you know, when when we get in the Premier League, as Brentford, what do we then do? I don't know. Does anyone know? But it's it's a good point oh. because they're, they're, they've been built to do what they're doing now. But what what comes next? They have threaded the needle. And I, I, people probably
1: don't respect how hard this is, but they have managed to not only recruit very good young players that they sell on for premiums and, and develop them into better players uh, at, at low cost. And, and many times they're selling for like, you know, five and 10 X what they bought for. And they do it over and over again. And that's that's where you're actually, that's where you end up being good. Like the, the ability to repeat a process and find undervalued talent, develop them, sell them on. like. That is unusual and quite difficult, but the really difficult thing is then competing for the top of the league, right? Like it's not it's not just that they they find this talent and then develop and settle it on. They they keep creeping back up the table and giving themselves a chance to get um, promoted to the Premier League. This year, uh, especially with some of the sales like Mopai, uh, you know, basically locking in the fact that they were going to have a nice little budget surplus. Um, yeah you know, they didn't need to sell their young guys. I'm sure there were there were bids out there for, you know, Berama who, you know, we know one or two Europa League level clubs that were were looking at him pretty closely. Um and, and you know, Ali's been known since he was young at Exeter. Uh, so like Ali Watkins is, is quite well well known and they have other talent too. Um yeah, and they're they're deep. Like they they lost attackers for a significant time. Like Kanos was was lighting felt like lighting the world on fire and he he got injured, but uh, Buemo has been as good or better, so um, they didn't need to sell.
0: They, yeah, this, this is it. I mean, whether they go up or not, I mean, I guess, I guess the, the plan going forward, you know, with no inside knowledge here at all, you just keep doing what you're doing. Because whether you end up in the Premier League and you know, aim at 17th kind of thing in the in year one and see how you go, or they go, you know, or they don't, or they go up and they come back down. The the model is proven to be you know pretty successful. They've got a new ground. Hopefully, fans will be able to visit it at some point. Um, they've they- like if they don't go up this season, they'll they'll ha- they'll be able to uh, bring some money and some someone will buy one of their better players. That you know, and that that'll be a. You know, the natural progression of that. And you would, yeah, and the revenue will their go their up
1: too treatment. because, you know, they're going from a, a stadium that regularly features 10 or 11,000 people to up to like what, 20 to 22, somewhere in there. So, you know, match day revenue will go up. Um, yeah, there was a, a, a thing on on the championship uh, finances and and wages versus revenue that Kieran McGuire did, and Brentford don't care about that as much because they know that their revenue is somewhat low, but they also know that they're going to be able to sell one to two players every year for a pretty good amount, and then and keep going. I think the the most impressive recruitment job that they did was they they turned over both of their center backs in the last twelve months, upgraded significantly. Like Pinnick has been really good, but you know you the they upgraded with players that are playing in the Premier League, right? Like so, you know, John Egan is no slouch at all, and he's in the Premier League. Um, but like Pontus Jensen, we talked about last week. Like Leeds basically decided they didn't didn't need him anymore, or Loco didn't want him. Uh, so he's there too, and and those guys have been stalwarts. And then Norgard was the missing piece. Like since the since I worked for Brentford, we were always missing uh, a capable, strong uh, defensive midfielder, and. Uh, you know we had a, a bunch of them kind of fell through we had ones that were just a bit beyond our budget that we couldn't couldn't um, line up uh, we had ones that were pretty good but got injured and then never fit into the team so Norgaard has, has been like that, that missing piece uh, and yeah Brentford are smart and and they're able to do pretty well and if they go up then they can keep the ones they want to but if they get big big offers they're also perfectly willing to sell and and that's I think also something that, that makes them a little different than a lot of the clubs. They don't get stuck on guys. like this. Is They have their model. They trust their ability to, to turn over talent. And selling a guy for the right price and being able to replace them, they're not too worried about that.
0: Let's talk of a quick, very quickly about the tactical statistician job that they advertised this week because someone listening to this pod might, might like, like a piece of that action. Uh, to join the data and research department at the training ground, so this is quite interesting because I think, you know, obviously Brentford, long, you know, well known for to be on top of these kind of ideas, uh, you know, with analytics and, so and such. <laughs> I believe you work there, um, but just to see a job uh, so kind of like attached to the kind of uh, you know coaching side of things, but with a quite a strong kind of like stats, stroke, tactical element. I think I just might be the first time I've seen a job being so explicitly. Um, kind of like worded in this fashion. And yeah, genuinely fascinating um kind of job ad. It's on their website if anyone's interested and hasn't hasn't seen it. Coaching qualifications preferable. First degree subjects requiring numeracy of or statistics, mathematics. So, you know, very much this kind of this idealised um person who who's a football coach that also also is a statistician. Uh, Am I a
1: wet blanket if I just say this is the coach analyst role that we've been talking about for the last couple of years?
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, this is this is true. It's—it's the—it's the—you um, know—if you've got these these skills, if you're a, basically if you're a football man who can do a bit of coding, the world's your oyster. So, you know, this is—if you look good in a tracksuit and you can do a bit of coding, right? You're—you're—you're you're, you're away. So just don't lean on any goalposts. No, yeah. Be, make sure you've got the it's sufficient football man credentials to go alongside your your R-skills or whatever. But yeah, worth worth checking out.
1: Let's go just a couple miles down the road. Uh, Will Scott Parker make a good Premier League manager?
0: This feels like a mischievous question, judging by my timeline on Twitter. (laughs) Michael Cayley, the fated of this parish, uh, suggested he would maybe would. And I think a lot of, uh, uh, just the other day, and a lot of um, kind of like season's championship watchers felt otherwise felt he hadn't got the best out of this this
1: squad if we were clever we would like then have Michael Cayley as a guest at this moment but we are not that clever or that organized so (laughs) we'll answer for ourselves I wonder if he's
0: covered this on his own podcast but anyway it doesn't matter it doesn't matter I don't I mean I I, I don't know I haven't really got a a strong thought on Fulham Um, I have a thought on Fulham go on then I'm the one that pays
1: attention to the championship go on then unlike lazy bones over there <laughs> Only pays attention to the Premier League.
0: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> See how how little I pay attention to other leagues later. But anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so
1: I, I actually looked up some Fulham stuff. And, um yeah, watching the Brentford game and watching Brentford once again beat Fulham at Craven Cottage. Felt good, felt good. Uh, but I know there are a lot of Fulham fans that listen to us, uh, and plenty of them in the United States, uh historic Fulham fans. But um so my take is this: I think I think Fulham have actually defended fairly well this year, and we would say that, like looking at the defensive statistics, like they look like a, a pretty good club there. But they don't know how to attack, and I noticed it first, uh, just watching the the football, and watching that game, and I was like, man, there are so many aimless crosses that come in, and I know that Mitrovic is there, and he's like a very powerful guy and really good in the air. But there are plenty of center backs in the championship that are also really good in the air and and kind of nullify that. And so I, I would say you know, they could definitely do a lot better on set pieces. I think they're one of the worst teams in the league on set pieces. Um, they don't get counterattacks off as well as they should. But the big deal is, is just like a lot of crossing and a lot of aimless balls that disappear into the ether that is not an efficient way to attack so you know could scott parker in the coming years and remember like he's just gotten started end up being a pretty good manager yeah sure would i want to take a chance on him next year but he's not the worst option like you have to be able to defend in that league first i think and being if you pick a, a manager that can't defend but plays like a really lovely attacking style you are just asking to get relegated that's that's my opinion uh, but yeah, I, I don't think he's ready yet. I think I think he's definitely got some things that that he should learn. And the question is, can coaches learn how to do this and do it well? And and changing your tagging styles is a pretty big challenge.
0: Yeah, there's no wow numbers here either, is there? I mean, you look at Leeds, West Brom, and Brentford of clearly the kind of stand out. Teams with regards to numbers, you know, their expected goals look good. Uh, their shot volumes look nice. The nice balance of lots of shots and not so many given away, which I always like <laughs> to go with the natural expected goals thing. <laughs> you know, uh, Fulham, we've got them at like plus point one on expected goals, but like kind of thirteen shots, four eleven against. It's not. I think that the thought is that there's a talent in that squad and it should probably be doing a little bit better than that. So yeah, there, it's, there's it's, a
1: lot of talent and a lot of money that has been spent on that squad.
0: Yeah, so it'd be interesting. I guess it yeah, get open questions to whether he carries on next season if they don't get up, but you know, we'll we'll see we'll see about that. Uh, what's next we, on our list? We should mention the the Wigan thing
1: because we've we've been talking about how insane the championship is, and we also talked about how the Premier League has also gotten insane and the championship is just out of this world crazy, both on the pitch
0: and on yeah, the table yeah. and now in the in the boardroom. <laughs> This uh, this this saddens me because like it, the the bottom of the championship is already highly competitive, and then Wigan just dropped twelve points from going into administration, and, and suddenly yeah, so they're right in the mix, but in form. So, yeah, they, uh, they've gone into administration, but the insane
1: thing is, like, I cannot remember a team being on this type of heater and going into administration. Usually, like teams that are having yeah, financial yeah. problems, like are, are basically out, struggling and yeah, giving yeah. up.
0: This, this, yeah, I know what you mean. The whole thing kind of like goes down in in, in at the same time. But their form has been fantastic. Um, I they don't have know eight wins, three draws, and a single loss since the last week of
1: of January. Now, obviously, there's a big you know layoff in there. But that's twelve games worth, and they have a single loss in twelve games, yeah. and they're they're you know mid table, and they're playing as well as anybody in the entire league. They they absolutely dominated Stoke, who are you know also in the relegation range. And if they played like this all year, they would be you know promotion candidates by by a good whack. But now they have fifty points minus twelve, which puts them at the bottom of the championship, but only two points behind Luton.
0: Yeah, I know it's it's it's, it's yeah. I mean maybe someone new in January Look, we're probably going to go into an administration, lads. 12 points are going to go, right, let's win some matches. I mean, that's, <laughs> I don't know, but... Is, like, is that how it works, James? You just any decide others, to yeah, win if, matches? If they, had, if they hadn't... Yeah, I mean, if they hadn't have had such a great run, they would be buried already, wouldn't they? They'd be down, and that would be that. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're still in the mix. That The bottom of that league remains an absolute, you know, exciting kind of, like, turn of events as to what's going to happen in the next kind of six and, games.
1: And potentially it gets more exciting because I there were rumours this week that Sheffield Wednesday had missed some some payments potentially. Right. And, you know, Sheffield Wednesday are at 52. They're literally one place above above Wigan in the table. Right, but if yeah, you take yeah. 12 points away from then, then they end up at 40. And both of these teams are the bottom two teams in the league because it is so congested. So they are exact, yeah, it's, it's fascinating, and you know, we we talk about a, a lot of this stuff. You know, like some of those bottom teams, like Barnsley, are are playing fairly well. Uh, Wigan have been playing amazingly well, and then you know, we look toward the top, and the top is still super congested. Like the top five are are pretty lo- locked in, but that sixth spot, you know, Cardiff on sixty one, and then seventh place, coming seemingly out of nowhere with five wins in a row, is Derby County.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> Derby, can't wayne, that, wayne rooney inspired derby wait wayne rooney has one.
1: taken this team strapped them to his back is like hey i used to be a champions league player in fact i might have been the best native english player in the premier league for over a decade i care a little bit now Let, let's see what we can do
0: <laughs> if it feels like it happens less these days like legendary players kind of like have a season or two down the leagues and, and inspire but yeah, no, it's good good fun. Good fun. At please least please me. don't make me
1: go back to America. Please please don't yeah, make me go I, back. I wanna be at home. I like it here.
0: <laughs> right, what we got next? Uh, a recruitment question. Hey, when, James is doing a recruitment course.
1: This is a good topic <laughs> for James.
0: When recruiting, are you more inclined to overlook mental, technical, or physical deficiencies. I accept this is a broad, and depend, broad question depending on positions and tactics. Hoping for some insight from your experiences. Now, I've, I've flagged this as a <laughs> flagged this in our notes as a, a good lessons learned topic. No, James, um, we've never made any
1: mistakes. We've never learned any <laughs> lessons. We were perfect all the time.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> we haven't talked about it quite a lot, though, in, in recent times, um, because, ma- mainly because we're trying to kind of, like, distill, like, kind of, like, the collective experience of uh, of our group into this recruitment course that uh, we're devising but it does it does come up and i think that the idea about it, it says like me. You know, i don't like the word mental deficiencies i don't think that's quite what <laughs> quite what the intention of the question was not, not the phrase that you're going for right? <laughs> no no i mean the it's crazy but just you know the fact that you you you, know, you need the whole picture of, of, of who a person is and who a player is and i think that's probably just a um an insight into general recruitment. If we um, if we angel. called them
1: strengths, then it might be a little better. The only mental deficiencies in
0: this question are the people that are talking about it on the podcast. <laughs> but it's important. It's important to know. You know if is is your is your player going to fit into the group? And you know it's 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 easy easy to kind of like. I think we—I know Nikos. We had said this many times. The idea that you know a manager always thinks that they can—they can fix that player. He's got all the talent in the world. If we can just get his his focus right, then you know he can be an absolute star for us. That concept, and manager after manager, kind of like feels like they can—they can be the one that can find the key. And the idea that yeah, why should you be the one that uh, uh, can um, you know find the key to players?
1: Are, Are you really the player whisperer?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people and like to
1: think they are. I guess. Can I make this player give a shit every single day for ten
0: months out of the year?
1: And that's and that's it, like a big question.
0: And that's yeah. I mean, that's that's a good way of putting it, actually, because that concept of being a professional sports person and being committed to that lifestyle and the things that you'll miss out on, and you know, being sufficiently motivated to give everything all the time this I mean I I can do it I don't think I'm not that fitness interested but plenty of people you know will uh will struggle with that and as far as you can when you're making recruitment decisions you want you want to understand that the sports person that you're bringing in is very much committed to their their career at that point so back to the
1: question uh, if, if we if we bucket it into sort of mental strength or you know just attitude um technical strengths and physical strengths um You know, are there ones that you might, what have you learned and and are there ones that you you might overlook more or less? Typically in our recruitment, like we definitely flag up technical very quickly. Like that's something that that we look for. We've always looked for. We like technical players. Um, Having both technical and physical players is a stretch of the budget. Uh, especially if they're obviously physical, it is if someone is strong and fast and really good with their feet and can pass like you know a, a wizard, um, you, you, people will find them, <laughs> they're they, yeah. they, they stick out pretty well. Uh, so like if they're that, you're like, hmm, are they damaged goods? Uh, and I would say that early on when I first got started, and I didn't make mistakes based on this because you know, Matthew. Matthew had a pretty clear idea This Benham, um, the owner of Brentford, is like, you know, you can't overlook the mental. Uh, the mental side still matters. Your attitude matters. Like who you are as a person and fitting in with this group and getting a team to to do this and suffer uh, together. Like that's a pretty big deal. So uh, players that, that, you know, have weaknesses in this area tend to float from team to team almost regardless of their technical and physical ability. And usually they, they are quite good that way because like they wouldn't be there if there wasn't something that, that, you know, scouts found. Um, so the physical one is the one that I think that we, we were willing to skimp on a little bit. Now it, it is a little, you know, like the difference in, in like a top tier athlete and uh, an athlete in the, in the championship is like only 10% in, in, in some cases, like it's very, very narrow. Um, so if you want to, if you want to have the top Champions League team, you need to have all of these. And Liverpool have very technical players who are incredibly fast and able to make these decisions and and technical uh, moves at, at full speed, which makes them so difficult to play. And obviously, they have you know, they hire good people, and uh, their coach keeps them on target. Um, but yeah, I I think that you know, you're always balancing these things and your budget uh, when doing recruitment and. It's tough to get them perfectly right, and you know we've gotten better at it over the years. And we've done some projects that have been remarkably good, but those projects tend to be holistic, looking at the whole picture now.
0: Yeah, no, it is. It is true. You need to be, um, you know, consider all factors. Really, you can't really just expect to look at a spreadsheet and pick the guy at the top of the list and he's your man. I mean, well, you had a you had a tweet
1: weird. about that this week that I, I think is worth sort of repeating and just you know, touching on briefly about looking at information and, you know, turning that into insight and, and action actionable decisions. Like, it's not the same thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't remember what I said. <laughs> but it was just the idea that, like, you could just take sports data and just, and, um you know, on day one, you're right. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm This is cool, I'm with it. It's, it takes years, years, and loads of dedication and interest, interest, and passion. Mistakes. Mistakes. Yeah, and mistakes. This is, yeah, reviewing your work, wondering what you're doing, why you're doing it, why did you do something this way, why did you do it that way, Um, and... You know, learning learning what to look for I think, I, I mean this is something else I tweeted about this week but it was about like post-shot expected goals because I think I keep seeing people, I, you know, they, these models were designed for goalkeepers and I think they're they're okay for looking at goalkeepers, they've, they've got quite a good function there, um, but I keep seeing people kind of like conflating the whole idea of expected goals and um, team performances and maybe even strikers performances to some degree and I feel like goals does a hell of a lot towards this, uh, towards understanding like, you know, what happens after you've shot after the shot after the expected goal value and I think people are getting mixed up like looking at the differences which are often quite marginal I mean there's a lot of metrics in football I don't think people don't realise there's a lot of metrics in football that that there isn't much variance around a kind of like a mean for lots of these metrics and the only really interesting kind of like angles into it are the outliers and we've said this over years on this on this podcast many times and outliers can be really very uh very informative but that doesn't necessarily mean you're getting predictive information you're not you're often getting descriptive information and you're kind of like working with that so i feel like yeah uh it, it, it's an inevitable byproduct of more and more stats being out in the world um that you know people are misusing is a little bit hard, harsh but you know just make sure you kind of like uh you know learn as much as you can and learn as much of about the backdrop of what your stats are actually describing um before you make decisions based on them and i think yeah that's something that, that i feel quite passionately about and um is something that you know the maybe there's a little bit of a lag as the popularization of uh, stats and data is is kind of increasing uh the expertise that goes with it is um you know there's a little bit of catching up to be done
1: all right the next one here is the one that you know, people wanted to follow up on possibly because the rumors haven't gone away so i said i think a couple of weeks ago that you know, looking at thomas Partey's uh stats but also i've been watching people like oh you don't watch atletico madrid man I watch Atletico Madrid for set pieces since like <laughs> 2013. <laughs> Let's not pretend here that like we don't pay pretty close attention to them for a lot of reasons. And not not least because you know, despite the fact that many people might think it's boring, like watching what Simeone does to drill his team and and what they do as outputs is, is still pretty interesting. Uh, but anyway, I Thomas Partey, who is now 27, uh, was rumored to as a, as a likely target for Brentford. And what I said was. I don't think I would even take Partey on a free. You just um, said Brentford.
0: Sorry, not Brentford, Arsenal.
1: <laughs> switching switching teams here. Switching
0: teams I like. Now that would mean, be uh, something. Thomas Partey to, to Brentford to break the model.
1: Anyway, anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah so I wouldn't take Partey for free to Arsenal. Um, uh, do you think he's? there's a significant chance he has something current measurements don't see? Uh, what's the best case you can make for him, et cetera. So first of all, if you're taking him on a free, that means that he's going to have a big wage packet um and and I don't you know he isn't free uh but he is 27 right now so like Arsenal taking on a 27 year old and the people are like oh well you know he's he's a great defensive midfielder like he's not been playing defensive midfielder really for most of this year now he does it from game to game but that's not the output that he's had he's he's been more of an 8 but he's not an 8 that's generating um you know much of an expected assists uh, he is physically very good um, and and he's he's like, very noticeable when he's on the pitch, but that has not translated to consistent defensive output through the course of the season. Now, for some people, they say, well, that's just because he's playing for Atlético corporate I understand that, but if you're looking to spend a significant amount of money on a player who's already 27, is probably gonna get a five-year deal on a big wage packet because you're spending a lot of money on him, then your null hypothesis the case that you have to move away from says that, well, this guy's fine, but he's not elite. Where's the other data that says that he is dominating every single game throughout the course of the season to make you want to make this choice, right? Like that's that's the this place where we're starting here. And if you don't have that information, then there's a lot of risk involved. In order to mitigate the risk, you need to have either a lower price, presumably a lower set of wages, Or you need to have a a younger player that can continue to develop into something more. So the whole of this is wrapped around the fact that Arsenal are too old in some ways and also too young in some ways. (laughs) And they have very little in the way of players that are peak age or just before peak age that are... You know, elite right now. They don't have a lot of really high-end talent. They've got some that, that look like they're coming along. Saka just signed Nate, or sorry, a new deal of four years. He's he's super young, but he looks like the type of kid that that can grow into that. Maybe uh, Mar- Martinelli does. They've got some 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 pieces that that look like they are good right now and impressive. I would not do this and James and I covered this a little bit last week because they've already got things like Lacazette who's 29 and they bought him, you know, at 27. And they they've got Aubameyang who's been fantastic, but again, you know, you've got 120 million like tied up in those two guys or maybe even slightly more. You're not going to get much necessarily out of the them for selling them on and you know Lacazette is already kind of, you know, petered out. And and so you don't know when Thomas Partey will peter out, but Historically, we can say that if you're starting at age 27 and you're not, you know, crazy dominant in statistics and you're hoping that you know, Arteta's going to change you. You've got a really big risk on years three, four, and five in that contract. And those risks don't go away. They just sit there as a giant anchor on your wage bill and they never leave. And that's what we've seen with Alexis Sanchez, with Mesut Ozil, with half of Juventus who, you know, don't compete that much in their league, but they've got so much wasted wages that you know they're having to do like swap deals with young players to get or good players to get them off the book so they can cover FFP. Like, it just creates huge messes down the line. So if you actually wanted to listen to the follow up tweets that I said, like I explained pretty clearly why I find Partey for free a pretty scary proposition for someone like Arsenal, who would you are know, wage constrained, are budget constrained,
0: and would be taking a significant
1: amount of risk on this type of player.
0: I guess that's it, isn't it? I could see it. <clears throat> I mean, let's let's kind of <laughs> let's wantonly disregard his actual quality here. But if, like, Man City felt like he was a piece for their team, then you, I think, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. They can, you know, they 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 can fit those kind of players in. They have done like regularly. Um, but for Ars- Arsenal, they're just in such a kind of like. There's so much so much of a gap to traverse and they've got so many kind, so much money tied up in these, these, um, you know, like non-optimal deals. The last thing to do is tie up more money in a further non-optimal deal and kind of like have, like, as you say, kind of like have to untie all this in years three, four and five or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. In American sports, we call this salary cap hell. And, and you have a lot of sort of aging players that no longer produce what they did when you initially signed them, and they just, you can't get rid of them. And often, you know, in American sports, you often trade like a bad contract for a, alongside a draft pick to, to get out of this type of stuff. For Arsenal, you know, they, they have to wait for some players to, to move, hopefully, if they can shift them. You know, often paying a significant amount of their wages because they, they made mistakes and signed bad deals. You know, Partey might fit in fine with Chelsea. Chelsea seem to have a lot of those pieces, and having like a physical dynamo in the in the middle of the pitch that can do different jobs, um, you know, might be good for them as they as they kind of stabilize, and and that's exactly what they're looking for their role. I don't think Arsenal are in a position to make that choice and and not make it in a in a way that you know benefits the team, as they're basically rebuilding into something they need to be. They're not gonna, they might compete for top four next year, but like that's not even the goal, right? like the goal needs to be to compete for top 2 for top 1 how do you get there and and you only get there by being smart by being ruthless and not making mistakes
0: yeah and they they've already got a couple of mistakes in the
1: on the docket so, sometimes just avoiding the potential mistakes i'm not saying this is a mistake but avoiding potential mistakes is how you end up locking into championships and and you've got to be disciplined in order to do that. So that's, that's my take on this. Uh, you know, People could disagree with me, but it's not like I didn't think it out. And it's not like, yeah, I, we'll find out more about Partey in, in the next five years and, and somebody would be right or somebody would be wrong. But at this moment, at least I've got a pretty good explanation for, for why I have that strong opinion.
0: Right, we're nearly at an hour, Ted, but if there's any, any of these other questions that you'd like to hit on, then we can. James, you're always trying to weasel out of this.
1: You're like the lazy guy who only wants to do an hour worth of work. If you're building a team and wanted to model it on recent PL success, assuming limited budget, should you emulate Klopp's tactical system or Guardiola's? Do the player skill sets involved figure to be more expensive for one style than the other? I thought that was a really
0: good question. Mm, I don't know what the answer is, I don't think, because so much of it is reliant on absolute top-tier quality in certain positions. Like, does Liverpool's system work if you've got Joe Gomez playing right back the whole year? Maybe not so well. <laughs> it might work if you've got Joe Gomez playing Van Dijk's position, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's... So there's Gomez is cheap, right? Subtleties all around that. If you take one of the front three out, if you take Mo Salah out, I mean, we, we had this discussion, I think it was um, within the kind of company Slack the other day, about, like, you know, your, your lefty lefty right forwards and how scarce they are and how, how you know, you could potentially rate, potentially, you know, this is an arguable point, you could potentially rate, rate Salah as the kind of like the most vital of Liverpool's front three because he is that lefty kind of right forward. Well, um, I remember this
1: argument when Salah got signed. People were like, oh yeah, Mani's going to play on the right. I was like, oh, that is, that is <laughs> not going to happen. And you, you people who think this, I mean, look, people will argue anything, but... I so looking at it, I think it is easier and cheaper to emulate Klopp's tactical system. Uh, it doesn't mean that Guardiola's is not potentially even slightly better. And you know, people are gonna you can have an opinion about that. I, I think Guardiola's, you know, long, long period of dominance. Um, yeah, you know, with elite talent, but still, like he has had the best run of any modern manager. Um, but I do think it's a lot more expensive, and the players that you have to buy are even more rare and have to be like super elite passers. And those guys, like along with being fast at center back and such, those are harder to find. So I think it's it's probably cheaper to emulate Klopp style, and because of that, most teams would err toward that. But you gotta have the horses. <laughs> you gotta have some really good forwards in order to do that. And I don't even know if you like. Who, who, Who's the other Trent? You know, like we've never seen that really. Danny Alphas,
0: yeah, 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 they're, they're scarce, aren't they? I was, yeah, at one point this season, I was kind of thinking that Leicester had, had I, I did some, some, some analysis where I was trying to look at like you know, the shape of teams and how they, how they kind of set up. I can't even remember the detail of it, but, but, but the, the, Core idea came out of it was like Leicester and Liverpool had similarities in the way that the you know their their backs were really quite highly involved. Obviously Vardy doesn't really kind of equate across to any any Liverpool forward per se, but um, you know there there were definite similarities in how how the teams were looking to set up. But I guess that's it. Like you say, it's it's hard to replicate these absolute top tier systems. You know we haven't seen like you know. <laughs> Other teams like play in the same style as, as say, Man City, uh, uh, with any kind of frequency, and that probably is just like um, a case of you know needing a, absolute top tier talent to pull it off. But yeah, maybe maybe it's curious that there haven't been more teams that have learned from learned from some of these um, you know some of these kind of best best teams and the practices that they employ.
1: Hmm. I, I think the the part that impresses me the most about Klopp is that he's been willing to learn on top of what he brought right and, and yeah, I yeah. would I would not argue that his contributions have not been enormous because from a man management perspective I think that you know making people love him but also you know making them follow the line like that's been a big deal but like tactically he was very good coming in and and Dortmund played a great style of football but he has been open to learning and I would suggest pretty significantly that They have. He has changed his style of football over the last three, four years. uh, Not least with adding set pieces to the repertoire, and he says that that was something that you know he was convinced to focus on. And then the throw-ins and the restarts were something he was convinced. And I think that the the change in how they play with their fullbacks is a significant change, and it's a different tactical wrinkle, and there are reasons why that. You know, it may work if you've got the personnel to pull it off, but it has definitely made them more resilient um, and and less beatable than yeah, and Klopp's old teams.
0: Being more timely with the pressing as well. Like, you know, yeah. I think the early teams. I think one of the th- yeah, one of the things I noticed recently was Firmino. Like, you know, the the old school metrics of your tackles and your interceptions. I think they've declined every year that he's been there. And uh, you know, with our pressure events, he, he flags quite highly and always has done. But the fact is, he's he's not as he's not like as physically involved. As he used to be, and it does feel very much a case of like you know monitoring how who's pressing and when, and actually thinking about that, and, and thinking about a whole season and a whole game. You're three nil up. Chill out, you know. Gas. You've gas in the tank, lads. All of these yeah. concepts feel like they've been at least addressed to some to some degree. Even the midfield, you know, the the idea was that the would come in and be like this dynamo, this energy guy in midfield, and then potentially. Um, that, uh, who knows? There's you know bigger bigger stories around like you know he has been injured and such at times. But like you know what is it required from Liverpool's midfield? I think people have finally got to the stage where they don't think that you know when Coutinho left it was like well where's our creativity? No one's thinking that anymore because it's changed, and you know they they accept the fact that Liverpool have um, apparently uh, less dynamic kind of. Um, Attacking players in those positions. So yeah, all of these things have evolved slowly. Not to, that they're
1: incapable. No, it's exactly. That their jobs are different.
0: Yeah, when you see, you see, Alden for Holland. You know, he's, he's a fantastic attacking midfielder when he, when he plays for Holland at times. But you know, that's not what he's asked to do when he's playing for Liverpool. So yeah, so. well, and this
1: is this is exactly the thing about Klopp that has made them successful because he has gotten them on board with this style that has been wholly successful. But these players, you know, I mean, it's fun to attack, right? It's not always fun to defend, <laughs> and and they just do it relentlessly, and they do a great job. Um, one more question that I wanted to cover, especially you know with the zeitgeist, but I think it's it's relevant. Why aren't there a lot of top black managers? Uh, there are, are there no real options for top clubs to go for right now, um, or there are no real options, and is this a systemic problem lower down, or just a coincidence?
0: Hmm. Well, I think it's probably you know the hist- history. Has uh, has brought us to this point, and it's only very recently that we're even in a position where we can stop and say, oh, actually, right, you know, this is wrong. This this shouldn't be the case. There should be far more opportunities. You know, the the old the old idea. You can go back to um, you know, tens of years to the idea of the Mister, the Englishman, the white Englishman who turns up somewhere and is your manager and teaches you about football, and you know that concept has kind of pervaded. Across, you know, huge swathes of world football. Even, I mean, you get you, often you get Europeans going and managing kind of, um, say, kind of like Middle Eastern countries or African countries in the World Cup, and the idea that you've got, you know, kind of a white European or a white British manager um, has been so kind of ingrained in the in the fabric of football over the course of history um, that yeah, like I say, I think it's only, it's only now that. Uh, as we become a little bit more enlightened finally that people are realizing that you know we can do a hell of a lot better.
1: Yeah I think that it's a clear systemic problem and actually the Rooney rule which is one where uh, you know NFL teams have to interview uh, black or minority managers or head coaches or uh, potential executive positions inside the league. Now it hasn't necessarily changed that much, uh, but it's been bandied about and known about in the UK for as long as I can remember. Um, it is a systemic problem, and I don't know exactly why it is. And I would be hesitant to, to point that out other than, you know, like quiet, accidental racism or, you know, just not putting these people into uh, you know learning periods where they can uh, get into uh these better jobs or whatever you know like Saul campbell is is one of the people that gets talked about andy cole um another one like there have been lots of players ex-players over the years who got their coaching badges and then they're like well where are the jobs for me now this is not always directly the same thing though because there were the class of 92 that were like well we can't get coaching jobs right and those are all white guys and they're like well we you know where are the jobs for us but the fact that there are no um sort of minority managers are very few minority managers that are even qualified and available here has to be systemic like we need to get them into assistant positions that then they graduate into senior positions they need to be in interviews like they need to be directors of football you know les ferdinand's one right like les ferdinand's a legend he's a director of football at qpr but it's tough to to name like many other ones um that are there uh chris powell uh, chris hewton those guys are there, um, but like, there's given the percentage of people in the country that are black, or you know, we go beyond that and say say you know minorities, um, it's like ten percent, ten to twelve percent, right, something around there. So like, there should at least be that level of representation. But then football is well above that rep- level of representation. Uh, so yeah, it it does not represent the playing population. And if you think that you know a lot of ex players are the ones that become Uh, head coaches and managers, then that's weird. And it's clearly a systemic problem. And it's one that has to be addressed. And I think that, you know, now the current climate suggests that you might be able to address that. Whereas in the past, it's like, oh, that's a problem. And then everybody continues to ignore it. Um, You know, I I think people will follow up and they'll keep the receipts and they'll keep pushing for this. And like they push for change in the women's game. And, you know, my hope is that it will continue to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're, if just to continue quickly. If you're, you know, if you're a black player and you retire tomorrow and you think, I'll do my coaching badges, you know, can you see that route to a a manager's job or a good coaching job? Or, you know, are there there plenty of people just coming out of football and just thinking, well, that's that's obviously not going to work. Why would I bother? And changing that perception and changing the the routes into into kind of like um, coaching and senior management jobs is, you know, obviously all all part of that. Well,
1: and and Lampard's comments, you know, are kind of the trap, right? Like, Frank talking about, well, I've worked really hard too, and I'm a hugely, you know, I'm I'm one of the England stars from an entire generation. Like, yeah, I get that, right? But like there were other stars in that generation that have not had the same levels of, of privilege that you have. And acknowledging privilege doesn't take away the fact that Frank Lampard has worked really hard, but it is something you have to do in order to address the problems in the system, which are clearly failing minority candidates and what i don't as i said i don't know why but whenever i look at data i often looking at you know what is the result of this data if it appears to be something weird this is clearly weird so you know people have to put in place systems and processes in order to address that so all right well thank you very much for this extended podcast listen uh james do you have anything you want to say before we sign off today
0: i don't think so no um but you know thanks for listening thanks for your questions and um yeah we'll we'll come and do it again soon enough welcome to
1: july goodbye